0: Hi, I'm Jess and I'm a member of the youth environmental group It's Our Future. You're listening to my podcast, Recycling Revisited, which is part of a series of podcasts made by It's Our Future members. Thanks for listening. You've probably heard the phrase, reduce, reuse, recycle. It's one of the most popular phrases associated with the environmental movement, meant to limit the amount of waste in landfills. The third method, recycle, is supposed to be a last resort for items that you couldn't possibly reduce or reuse. But, as you've probably guessed, this is not the way most Americans think about their waste. Millions of items that could have been recycled go to landfills, and non-recyclable items are put in the recycling, often contaminating the entire bin. So what is the state of our recycling system right now, and how can we make it more effective? To start, I explored the history of recycling in my area, the greater Chicago region. The original recycling stations in Chicago looked very different than they do today.
1: These were ones where you showed up and you had to separate the glass by color. There was usually like a bin for cans. There was something for, I think, newspaper and cardboard. And that was, that was really it for these recycling stations.
0: That's Carter O'Brien.
1: The sustainability officer here at the Field Museum. This is my 23rd year. Um, I've been working in the sustainability uh, sort of field here, I guess, full-time for about seven years. I did uh, start chairing the green team, which is like our recycling committee starting in 2004. And I've been a member of that since essentially I started uh, probably 1998.
0: He's also the vice president of the Chicago Recycling Coalition. So there are two methods of sorting recycling. There's source separation, which is where you sort your waste into different categories before it goes to a facility, which is what the original recycling stations were. The other method is single stream recycling, which is where all recycling can go into one bin, and people, or sometimes robots, sort it out at the facility.
1: It's always been described to me as it's essentially it's a it's a trade-off. And so when you go to the uh, source separated kind of programs, it's, uh, you're gonna get a much cleaner product. So like what, what you get because somebody has taken the time to sort of sort it in a bin mm-hmm. and it's kept segregated from other materials, it means that when it eventually gets where it's gonna be baled or sorted a little bit further perhaps, um, it, it will be cleaner. It will be uh, less less contaminants kind of in the stream. The downside is that the more you ask people to do, like the less people participate. So yeah. the concept of like the single stream commingled recycling was that you sort of made it as uh, user-friendly as possible, mm-hmm. and it was sold on this idea that like, well, you know, if you just sort of give people one big blue carts, one big blue bin, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they could throw all this recyclable stuff in there then that will get us like the participation and the numbers that we need to make this commercially viable to justify the pickups. Because yeah. the, the, the pickups are a lot of extra labor, a lot of extra emissions, to be honest, mm. and there's an environmental trade-off to that as well.
0: In the late 90s, Chicago Mayor Daley launched a controversial recycling program, which ended in 2008. It was called...
1: The Blue Bag System. And the blue bag system was the basically the worst of both worlds, where mm-hmm. they, they decided that they will make it as convenient as possible for the uh, consumers by just saying, like, well, you put your recyclables in a blue plastic bag and throw it in the trash. Mm. And then the trash goes in the regular trash truck. And then the city's sort of program was kind of like, trust us and we'll sort it once it gets to sort of what they call like a transfer station. Mm-hmm and people did not believe that this was actually happening and for pretty good reason it turned out that these transfer stations were often um well a they were absolutely not like high-tech sort of things where it was like robotics and um you know the the uh, artificial intelligence robots that are picking picking things out or the um, optical scanners that can tell the difference between like different kind of grades of plastic this was just literally people pulling things by hand and so on the one side the city would come back and say like even if the bag rips it's not a big deal and don't freak out because you know we have people that will grab all the stuff but the people that were sort of tasked with using the system were you know seeing their recyclables go into a trash truck and they saw the bags rip and they saw the materials kind of you know, mix up and jumble, and I, I guarantee you to this day, because I see it on the bloody social media like every other second it seems, somebody brings that up as a reason why recycling is a disaster here in Chicago, and it's—it's a—it's a trust and a buy-in problem, and it connects to the contamination because the people that we really need to be paying attention and like doing a better job on some some level of, of putting you know the right stuff in the bin. Um, are often people that have just kind of like thrown their hands up in the air and they're like, who cares, because it's just all like going to the dump. And it doesn't help that we literally hear that like some of the recycling truck drivers themselves tell people this. Hmm. That's not helpful. <laughs> no. And unfortunately, there seems to be a little bit of truth to it sometimes that they are just just landfilling our recyclables. And it's uh, an extraordinarily frustrating situation for all of us that we are hopeful that under the new administration we'll, uh, we'll see some improvement with because it's, it, it is holding us back um, from, from doing things like composting and you know, food, food kind of donation and much, much more important things, frankly, than uh, single stream recycling is, is, is fine, but it's like the tip of the iceberg of like, different waste reduction strategies and sustainability.
0: Just a few years ago, recycling in Chicago and around the world Faced an even bigger challenge.
1: In Climate Watch, when it comes to importing garbage, no country bought in more of it than China. The nation was the world's largest importer of trash until January when it started banning some recycled imports. And now that ban is in full effect. Some American cities are forced to dump large amounts of plastic and paper into the landfills instead of sending it to China for processing. The China situation is fascinating. It, um, it started off uh, apparently with like good intentions in the sense that, well, I don't know, good intentions, good economic intentions. So when people say like we sent all of our trash to China, that's that's actually not usually correct. I mean, the, the, if you could imagine, you know, what it takes to get bales of uh, paper, uh, you know, in, independent of the contamination factor, but, mm-hmm. you know, sending bales of raw material from a, a MRF transfer station to China is a lot of work. There's no one that would bother doing that if it was just going to get, quote, like dumped into a landfill in China. you just dump in a landfill right here. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. need to put it on a voyage to go halfway around the world, because even though there was this sort of economic factor they call the, the free ride, where essentially, you know, the Chinese industries, because the labor costs were lower, were making lots of cheap stuff that ended up at, say, like your Targets and your Walmarts and all these things. But then we were not really making anything as a country that was being uh, exported to China. So the boat, so to speak, was empty on its way back. And so the sort of uh, the lingo that developed around it was like, hey, there's this boat that provides essentially a free ride, because they would heavily discount putting items on this boat to take it back but even though it's heavily discounted it's still you're still dealing with customs and port inspectors and all this kind of stuff so it's not like we ever just sent trash to china which is unfortunately you know how the media then kind of misinterprets it and it's Mm -hmm. it's important to understand why that's not accurate and the reason for that is is that you know what what drives recycling is is the reuse element i mean it's not recycling A blue bin is not recycling, a recycling plant is not recycling. Something hasn't been recycled until it has been remanufactured into another product. And most people kind of forget that whole element of it. And a lot of that is because, uh, especially here in Chicago, we don't make that much stuff anymore. And we're really kind of, we're divorced essentially from what landfills are like, because we don't have landfills in our cities anymore. We don't really see recycling processes anymore. And we really don't see manufacturing anymore, so it's it's kind of become like a little bit kind of fuzzy for all of us what's actually involved with all these things. China, on the other hand, had, you know, it's a much bigger country. Uh, It was a developing country for a long time, and so there was a lot of things that they were able to do just because they had so much labor. So they had huge labor pools, and so there was a lot of things where, you know, whether something can be recycled is often just a question of economics. So you know we you can recycle almost anything in some capacity. The question is whether it makes economic sense to do so. Mm-hmm. So a, a good example were uh, Christmas tree lights. So Christmas tree lights, ten fifteen years ago, they were a disaster here in recycling uh, sort of systems because they're they're what they call tanglies. You know, like mm-hmm. they they tanglers. They go they go through these recycling plants. They they get caught up in like conveyor belts and wheels and things like that and are a big pain in the butt but if you were able to get them like in recycling drives in big boxes and stuff and you were able to get you know tons of Christmas tree lights to uh, like a Chinese manufacturer there would literally be people that would just take you know knives and other things and just cut the you know cut the rubber off of it like the casing to get to the get to the wiring Mm. and for years that worked great. You know, like the uh, Chinese industries were happy to have the raw materials. We were happy to get rid of our stuff. And I think the real, the real two things that changed were, A, uh, Americans just got increasingly sort of sloppy with our recycling habits. Um, there's a, a, a sort of factor, know, factor is the right word, there's a sort of like behavioral uh, condition that's known as wish cycling. And the wish cycling is sort of people that are prone to recycle are also prone to like throw kind of unrecyclable stuff and they just kind of hope that you know, the magic of the facility will kind of take care of it. And sometimes I think that's definitely not a big deal whatsoever, but there are times that that's a real problem because people are throwing stuff into these bins that actually makes everything in the bin more difficult to recycle. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I think plastics are really what broke the system.
0: Since most of us don't get to see landfills or recycling centers, We don't fully understand why it's important to think critically about our waste and avoid landfills as much as possible. To us, our waste just disappears, whether we sort it correctly or not. To make matters worse, even though many buildings are starting to install sorting stations with recycling and compost bins, a lot of people still don't know how to sort their waste, which causes even more contamination. Even at the Field Museum, which has found recyclable or compostable alternatives for nearly everything in its food court. There are still some materials in the wrong bins. Cities and buildings can only do so much when it comes to recycling. The rest is up to consumers to sort their waste properly. So how can we solve this problem? The answer might be to start education about waste early.
2: My name is Susan Casey, and I'm the Zero Waste Schools Program Manager at Seven Generations Ahead.
0: This program is pretty special to me because I was one of the first students who got to experience it in elementary school, and it taught me a lot about how to sort my waste to the point where I can confidently do it on my own and even teach others.
2: Right, yeah, and that's the goal, to, to not do it for them, but mm-hmm. to help them. It's just like anything in a, in a classroom. It's like you learn where things go, and the kids are responsible for making sure that happens mm-hmm. um, with some general reminders.
0: The Zero Waste Schools program aims to help elementary, middle, and high schools increase composting and recycling while teaching the students about the importance of waste diversion.
2: So again, in a school, when we're, we're working with any school, we're working with where they're at and what they can do. Some, mm-hmm. some schools have commercial composting available, like here in Oak Park, mm-hmm. um, where there is a commercial composting service available, so that can be incorporated and it can capture Um, all food scraps as well as food soiled paper like the lunch trays that are compostable. Mm -hmm. So with that you're able to capture a whole lot more. Some schools are only able to do recycling of like milk cartons and other um, drink containers. Um, All schools really could be doing a food recovery program or a share table. Um, If they have a school lunch program that is Uh, you know inevitably kids are taking um, foods that they don't end up eating and a share table is a place that they could put those items Um, and some schools operate a share table where during the same meal period other students are free to take those items during the lunch period Um, if there's surplus at the end of the day Um, Oftentimes a school nurse or social worker can take those um, items. Another option is to donate those. So that's one option, recycling, composting, um, looking at ways the school could just eliminate some sources of waste, like maybe switching from something a a non-recyclable or non-compostable packaging to something that is recyclable or composting.
0: Once the schools figure out the best method to reduce waste, based on what's available to them. The next challenge is making sure everything is sorted correctly.
2: Recycling I'd have to say is probably the more most complicated of all of the different categories of waste streams there are um, just because things, rules are changing or there's often so much the misconception that, all well it's plastic therefore I can recycle it, which is mm-hmm. absolutely not the case. Yeah. There's so much plastic that is not recyclable um, that it really, that's the biggest part of the education Mm -hmm. around recycling.
0: Even with these challenges, this program has been a success, both in terms of diverting large amounts of waste from landfills and inspiring kids to make a difference in their schools and their lives.
2: Definitely by bringing zero waste schools and this action that kids can take, into the lunchroom that we've definitely seen that be the start of things mm-hmm. or or help students um, make a real difference because unlike so many other environmental issues that you know students might care about and want to do something about having um, a sorting system or a zero waste lunchroom is like a concrete way that students can make a difference each and every day just by sorting yeah. properly mm-hmm. um, or sharing, bringing the messages home to their families um, and friends and encouraging them to take what they learn at school and make sure it's happening at home and at their extended family, you know, with their extended family and friends. So that's a, a real way that they can make a difference. And I don't think that's lost on them at all. I think they really feel mm-hmm. it and it's, it can be, you know, it's empowering.
0: So what can we take from this? Successful recycling relies on consumers sorting properly, governments making effective policies, and even world leaders cooperating to build a sustainable future, so we definitely shouldn't take it for granted. We have a responsibility to sort our ways to the best of our ability and make sure our leaders are enforcing policies that make sense for us and for the planet. These responsibilities may seem daunting, but everyone can start by taking small actions like looking up what's recyclable in your area and learning about the recycling process. One topic I would recommend reading about is the term circular economy. You might find that once you start learning, you'll be inspired to take action in your community or even just in your home. Thank you so much for listening and I hope this podcast inspired you to think more critically about recycling. Make sure to check out the other podcasts from It's Our Future members.